Welcome, friends, fans, and colleagues. Uh, this is uh, Karen Tate, and uh, this is uh, Voices of the Sacred Feminine, and uh, I am back on schedule for the most part, uh, doing my show Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Uh, it's been a little erratic uh, in the last uh, few weeks and months, um, so I hope you've hit the follow button. Uh, on the show page here so that you didn't miss any great shows. Uh, But if you did, please uh, just go check out the archives. They are all there waiting for you. So moving forward here, uh, you know, as a bit of housekeeping, uh, most of the shows uh, will continue to be uh, 11 a.m. on Wednesdays. Uh, However, there are some special exceptions. Uh, Like tomorrow, I will be doing my uh, monthly uh, offering uh, from my book, uh, Goddess Calling, uh, offering an inspirational message and meditation. Uh, So that will be tomorrow at 11 o'clock. And uh, if you uh, liked that music you heard uh, opening the show, uh, that was one of the artists that uh, you'll hear here pretty regularly. Uh, it was uh, The Arms of the Mother uh, was the name of it, and uh, the artist is Abigail Spinner McBride. Uh, she's a great artist out of um, Las Vegas, Nevada area. And, uh, wow, uh, what, uh, what a time we're living in, right? Um, uh, it, it's interesting. Every day I turn on the news and I see the craziness out there, I remind myself uh, that this is what it looks like to evolve. Uh, sometimes it's um, two steps forward, one step back. Uh, it's messy. It's like I've, you know, they've likened it to making sausage or something like that. Uh, but uh, I really feel more than ever now uh, we are we are living in um, the pre-evolution, if you will. Um, I don't know. I don't know if that's the right term exactly. Uh, but I think things are changing. Um, many of us have been working very hard uh, for humanity to evolve. Uh, we have been working very hard uh, to um, uh, plant the seeds uh, for a world uh, of more uh, fairness and equality. Uh, we saw the Me Too movement, and I'm sure that's not done yet. Uh, now we're seeing, um, you know, the movement for, uh, you know, for Black Lives Matter, for the end to police brutality. And I'm so glad to see that uh, folks out there are not uh, giving up. And uh, most experts believe, um, you know, this is going to be a real catalyst for change rather than just a flash in the pan. So uh, my hope is, um, you know, maybe once uh, we're successful at this, uh, then the next thing we can address is um, uh, economic inequality. And uh, and obviously there's still so much sexism out there. And uh, that's a great segue for today's show, actually. Uh, the title of today's show is Recovering from the Misogyny of Christian Fundamentalism. And uh, my guest uh, is Duane Keir. And I want to tell you a little bit about her and the book she has out, uh, because, of course, that's what we're going to be chatting about uh, today. She's the author of uh, Fundamentalism, 
uh, resurrecting the fundamentals of relationship from the fundamentalism of religion. That's a, 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 a you know a full mouth there, a mouthful, uh, and it's considered a, a handbook for recovering Christian fundamentalists. Uh, and today, uh, Duane. Um, is with me and a little bit about her background. You know, she's a psychic channeler, a hypnotist, ordained minister, spiritual teacher. Uh, she's a performer of sacred ceremonies. Uh, she's uh, obtained uh, the Master of Religious Education degree from New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. And uh, she's uh, worked for Southern Baptist College, uh, church, newspaper, as well as uh, the Southern Baptist Convention. And uh, she's also authored the book, uh, Return of the Divine Feminine, Rise of the Divine Masculine, uh, and the Men Who Are Calling for Her Return, uh, meaning her as goddess. So um, uh, we have a lot to talk about, and uh, her and I have a lot in common. Uh, I'm also from New Orleans, and... Um, uh, know that part of the world from which uh, she hails and uh, I think it's really interesting uh, she's written a book about the divine masculine because quite frankly um, you know in the women's community and goddess spirituality I would usually get a lot of flap for talking about the divine masculine uh, and needing men to help us uh, you know get things over the finish line but anyway we're going to talk more about that uh, today so uh, Duane Keir uh, welcome to Voices of the Sacred Feminine thank you so much I'm absolutely delighted to be here uh, well, I want to talk about your title a little bit. You know, you kind of have a play on words here. Uh, it's fundam uh, fundamentalism, like a talisman, talisman, uh, fundamentalisman, uh, resurrecting the fundamentals of relationship from the fundamentalism of religion. Did I get that right? Yes, that's correct. Um, I, I pronounce it fundamentalisman, uh, which, you know, is a tongue twister. <laughs> Uh, but I, uh, I created the words by merging the words fundamental and talisman. Um, and the reason that I put the two words together was because um, my present relationship with the divine is fundamentally mysterious and mystical. And where did, uh, how did the talisman uh, come in? That, that had to do with the, the mysterious and the mystical that um, in uh, most religious traditions across the world, including Christianity, um, have always used talismans, um, whether it's wearing um, the crucifix around your neck or feeling like that the, the physical Bible will protect you. Um, you know, you, you hear stories about someone... Um, uh, you know, in a violent situation, getting shot, and the bullet went through the Bible and protected them. Those kinds of things. So it, it was, it was a play on words of fundamentalism and talisman, uh, and trying to bring those, those two together. In that, um, our, our relationship with the divine is is quite um, mysterious. Uh, it's mystical. That's where. Um, all the world's religions have what they would refer to as their mystical um, branch um, because they take seriously the, the idea of that personal relationship with the divine. Um, 
you know, the, uh, right. Christianity had the Gnostics and uh, Jews have co- uh, the Kabbalah and um, uh, Islam has the Sufis and what have you. Is that um, right? It's those groups that actually take seriously that we can have that relationship. Great, great. And I think that will actually, uh, you know, that unique uh, play on words uh, will help people remember the title. Um, you know, it, that, that, was, that was really, uh, you know, uh, interesting and uh, insightful thinking on your part. That's uh, witty, you know, it was witty um, and uh, catchy. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, so, Joanne, uh, you know, I, I uh, came up in New Orleans, uh, and, uh, you know, from, you know, reading your bio, uh, you have too. Um, have you spent your entire life uh, down there in the South? Um, I was born and raised in the South, but I did a lot of uh, moving around even as a child. My dad was... Um, a construction crew worker, and so we would, you know, pack up the Buick and the U-Haul trailer and follow wherever uh, the the work led us to go. Um, but it is where my parents, my grandparents, are from uh, in the area of Jackson, Mississippi. Okay, yeah, that I, I was hearing your voice, and I was thinking, hmm, that doesn't quite sound New Orleans to me, but it's definitely the <laughs> South somewhere. Um, yeah. And you know, I always like, you know, I always like to, um, you know, compare notes with people that hail from the same region. Um, I don't know about you, uh, and and I'm really curious. When I was growing up in the South, and I didn't leave there until I was 30, I never once, in any form or fashion. Uh, heard of goddess spirituality there. We heard of voodoo. You know, that was maybe the alternative religion, but I don't think anybody took it seriously as a religion. The only thing there was Christianity. Um, uh, You could be a Catholic or you could be a Baptist. I think there was one Jewish temple in New Orleans uh, that I'm aware of. Um, What was it like for you, um, you know, growing up, uh, in New Orleans or Jackson, Mississippi area, did did you ever hear of Goddess there, or did you have to leave the South to find her? Uh, I had to not necessarily leave the South, but leave uh, old beliefs behind. Um, when when I've heard you talk about your background being Catholic, I, I always kind of snicker and giggle to myself because as a Southern Baptist. Uh, we didn't believe you were saved, <laughs> you know. Even <laughs> even Catholics, yeah, even Catholics were going to hell, right? Um, I think what happened for me is that because of my psychic ability, I had inherited it from uh, the women on my mom's side of the family and from the men on my dad's side of the family, and kind of got a double whammy coming in. Is um, is that trying to find some something to do with that? You know, where where did that fit in the scheme of things as far as my life was concerned? And um, I was born to a mother who was a Christian fundamentalist, almost fanatical, and a father who was almost an atheist, or at least he found the church completely distasteful. Um, and so with my psychic ability, I had more of a home with my mom's um, beliefs um, as opposed to my dad's uh, lack of them. And so 
I ended up going into the ministry. And um, as I followed that path, um, I found um, not only that there was no mention of a goddess, but no really mention of a mother, but also that there was really no room for me personally. Um, and that was kind of an eye-opening experience. Um, uh, I guess I was kind of naive, but, but this idea that um, I, uh, I, I couldn't be um, having visions and voices, uh, first of all, because I wasn't a man, <laughs> and uh, that I was only supposed to be supporting men in those roles. And, and as hard as I tried to do that, I mean, that's pretty much the way my mom lived her life, um, it, it just became incredibly frustrating because of the things I was seeing and hearing, and I knew that the men around me were actually praying to have those kinds of experiences and, and were not. So I, I think where I started finding the divine feminine was I was trying, I was still trying to fit into the box of Christian fundamentalism. And so I would just pour over the scriptures looking for any reference to women or the divine mother or the divine feminine or what have you and it was just you know few and far between um even when you go to the new testament um you know with jesus supposedly elevating the status of, of women in in his circle um there still wasn't a lot to work with so i i moved from trying to read um uh, the bible into trying to read some christian feminist authors, which kind of sounds like a oxymoron, uh, and uh, then from there, when I when I just I still couldn't find my place, I started looking more at feminist spirituality, and that's where I found out about uh, the goddess, the mother, the earth, my body being connected to the earth, um, how things used to be, um, and it dramatically changed my life. That's a, that's a wonderful story, um, and I wonder too when you were at the Baptist uh, Theological Seminary there, were the men very accepting of you? Uh, I mean, I'm assuming you were thinking you were going to go forward and be a minister. Um, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but were they supportive of that, or were they, you know, condescending, or were they just happy to take your money and they figured you'd never have your own <laughs> church? Um, I, I, I guess I'm just curious about that part. Um, it, it was it was really kind of a cognitive dissonance for most of the men I was around. Um, they really loved me personally and felt like I was very gifted, but their interpretation interpretation of scripture for them meant that I couldn't do the things that they were getting ready to do. And um, I have to confess, when I went to seminary, it was not so much because I thought I wanted to preach, you know, or to have a church. It had more to do with um, I felt like that I was going to um, be writing. In other words, um, I ended up working for a, a Southern Baptist uh, newspaper for a while um, because I wanted I wanted 
for people to be able to tell their stories, um, you know, what their personal relationship was all about. Um, and so I wasn't too, it wasn't too off-putting that the, that the men around me didn't think that I was ever going to, you know, be a preacher or prophet or, you know, what have you. Um, but you could tell that um, I, I, I definitely um, had to deal with sexism. I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to, to wash over that at all. But it was more uh, dealing with their confusion more than anything else. It was like, oh, we love her so much and she's so gifted, but we don't know what she's going to be able to do with it, you know, that God's going to let her do. <laughs> So so when did you start to question, um, you know, what you'd been taught from your fundamentalist mother? And, and just as a side question, because I forgot to ask a moment ago, that must have made for some interesting conversations in your house. Or did mother just go to church on Sunday while dad stayed home and watched the football game? I mean, that must have been, uh, you know, kind of interesting growing up, right? Or, or no? Oh, very. Um, and, you know, I'll just be real open and honest. It, it made our our home uh, almost like a battlefront between, you know, good and bad, righteous and evil and what have you. My, my mom's number one top priority was to save my dad's soul. And that was my dad's last priority. Um, and so there was just this continual uh, stress intention um, in the house uh, growing up um, and um, trying to find my place in that you know was was very confusing as well um, it, um, it 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 was it was a very you know I, I can just be up and honest it was a very dysfunctional uh, family of origin environment right did they stay married uh, Joanne um, I joke and so, say, unfortunately, yes, they did. <laughs> wow, they made it work. Um, so, um, so when did when did you start to question, uh, you know, everything you'd been taught from your mother's side of the family? Uh, it, it was it that experience in the seminary of uh, when you were feeling like you didn't fit in the box that they sort of. Um, created for you as a, as a woman uh you know or was it more more to it than that um i think it was just the things i was seeing and hearing and experiencing as a spiritual intuitive or psychic or psychic channeler it, it just wouldn't fit in the box after a while um you know that i finally had to burst out of the box but um i can say there's probably two main things that um you know, we can go back to that cognitive dissonance, right? It's two things. Um, I think that the first one, the concept of hell, um, it, even though I, I believed it, I taught it, I preached it, uh, I was afraid I was going to go there, um, was hoping I was saved and wasn't going to go there, what have you. Pretty soon there came a point that I'm going, wait a minute, there's something not quite right here. Um other people are going to go to hell if they've never heard the good news, you know, of Jesus being their Savior. Uh, how can you how, how can you let them go to hell just because they haven't heard? 
or even if they have heard hiking, let them go to hell when they're following in the footsteps of their own family's beliefs and their own cultural beliefs. And that, that started making me feel really, really uncomfortable. Uh, and then uh, it finally came around to me personally. It was like, oh, wait a minute. Um, I, at the time, I had really low self-esteem, and, and, and you know, the, the church plays on that. You know, you're sinful. Um, what a wretch am I kind of thing. And But finally I, I started realizing even with my low self-esteem and as sinful as they had convinced me I was, there, I had never really said or done anything that even human beings would put me overnight in jail for. And it was like, okay, if I've never really said or done anything that even human beings wouldn't put me in jail for, then there's a... There's a disconnect here with a loving and merciful God who's not only going to put me or put me in or let me go to hell, but it's for eternity, <laughs> and I'm going to be tortured while I'm there. And it was like, we human beings don't even do that. So there became a disconnect. You know, it became a disconnect. It's like. So we humans are more humane and merciful than supposedly this God who loves me. And it was like, I don't know, it just started, again, it started causing these disconnects for me. I think the other thread, you know, besides hell, was this whole idea of fear, um, that, that being a God-fearing Christian is a really good thing. You know, politicians have put it on their business cards and brochures, and while I'm a God-fearing Christian, it was like, um so if there was no hell, would you still be a Christian? Because obviously you're afraid of God, and that God-fearing Christian pretty soon became a disconnect for me with the idea of um, a husband-fearing wife. And it's like, okay, that there's something not right here. Um, this fear of hell, this fear of God is not a is not a healthy concept of which to build a relationship, whether it's with another human being or whether it's with some kind of external, eternal deity. So I think both of those concepts, the idea of hell and, and this this idea of fear being a good thing really started causing conflict for me. Well, and, and I guess the other thing uh, for me as I'm listening to you talk is this guy, this idea of a merciful, loving God. Um, I mean, the God of the Bible doesn't come across like that anyway. Um, I'm wondering how they reconcile that in the seminary. You know, uh, I mean, he's, uh, you know, vengeful and jealous and, you know, tells people to go smite uh, you know, other uh, mm-hmm. people who don't want to believe in him. I mean, he's uh, God of the Bible is not the, is not the Jesus God. Um, I, I, how do they get from which written in the Bible to calling him a loving and merciful God? Um, it's it's really interesting how how that develops. Is that uh, the New Testament is presented as the New Covenant? And that's under Jesus as opposed to the old covenant that's under the law. And so Jesus came to us with the good news <laughs> that God is loving and merciful. 
and that that's one of the reasons that he got crucified and that if we follow him, you know, that we're following somebody who is who was trying to teach us about a loving, merciful God as opposed to the old covenant uh, of um, the, um, what is eloquently referred to as the incorrect interpretation of God. Um, but I, I well, found it interesting. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Well, I was just going to say, you know, where does, where does that, what does that say about the people um, who were following the, uh, you know, the, the original God, uh, you know, their cognitive disconnect uh, before the New Testament comes along. <laughs> exactly. Um, and when you when you look at the development of the Bible itself, um, there's there's a little bit of understanding that um, it's like uh, I. I personally wanted to do a, a study of the Pharisees because I'm thinking, you know, they, they're they seen as like the ultimate evil in the New Testament, right? And I'm going, okay, so what, what happened with these Pharisees? And what I came to the conclusion as, and I may be completely wrong, but you have this whole history in the Old Testament, um, if you believe the stories. You have this whole history in the Old Testament of, uh, as you say, God smiting even the Israelites, because they weren't following the rules and regulations that were set forth in the covenant. And so no matter how hard, you know, the prophets would come up and go, you know, you, you better get right or we're going to get, you know, God's going to smite us again, and then God would smite and what have you. And from my perspective, I think the Pharisees were a sect in Judaism that went, wait a minute, if God keeps smiting us because of all this stuff, <laughs> uh, we really need to follow the law closely so he won't smite us anymore. Um, and so I'm going, the Pharisees were just in, in their framework trying to figure out how to get on the, the straight and narrow, so to speak, to where God wouldn't smite anymore. Well, that's certainly living a life in fear, too, as you said before. And, uh, and, and I wonder as well, um, you know, how did they reconcile Asherah, God's wife? Um, I mean, I, I know uh, even today some, uh, you know, religious scholars like to just kind of look the other way. Um, if someone in your seminary class would have asked about her, uh, would they have just said, okay, never mind, next question? <laughs> I mean, how do they reconcile that? Um, I don't think that they ever have to uh, because she's written out of the scriptures. In other words, anytime um, you're looking for Asherah, what you more often than not will find her consort Baal, B-A-A-L, or it will be interpreted as um, a pillar or a high place, or a tree, or a grove of trees, or, or what have you, you, you don't get it um, translated and interpreted as Asherah. Um, and so you don't really have to deal with it. Now, you, you have to deal with her consort Baal, but he's actually elevated in the Old Testament as, you know, this competing god. Uh, and I think one of one of the reasons that was done is so they wouldn't have to uh, look at um, look at Asherah. Um, and it's really interesting, you know, there's this uh, concept, this principle, this energy entity in Judaism known as Shekinah. 
um, the original divine feminine essence um, or that you find still in the Old Testament um, uh, references to wisdom, which definitely, you know, is a reference to Sophia. Um, or even in the beginning when um, in the creation God is breathing over the waters, uh, water might have been a, a translation interpretation of, of the divine feminine, and so it just gets watered down to where you're not having to deal with the goddess or the mother of the divine feminine in any direct way. Right, right, right. I get it. I get it. Um yeah, and I, and I wonder if it matters uh, which scriptures you're talking about. I'm thinking maybe it's some of the Jewish scriptures uh, that Asherah uh, is mentioned in. It's It's been a long time since I've thought about that or talked about that. Um, but anyway, I, I I get your point. I mean, it was a it was really a non-issue uh, there at the seminary, you know, because I've I've talked to some you know folks in the past who've gone to seminary, and uh, you know they've they've often said that you know they just sort of glossed over the disconnects, or you know people didn't really have the the courage to. Um, you know, to bring up discrepancies because it would have been, you know, politically incorrect, so to speak, you know. Um, so they just kind of went with the program if that was uh, something they were going to stay with, you know, rather than, you know, walk away from it. And and you have to keep in mind, too, or, or I think I have to keep in mind, too, that uh, the individuals who were called to go to the kind of seminary that I went to um, were already singing off the same page in the hymnal. <laughs> you know, it was like yeah. um, they were they were just learning more words to the song, so to speak. Well, and and I'm wondering too if you would have brought up a question like that, uh, someone might have thought the devil had gotten into you or something for daring to question. I would imagine. Um, could you see that happening? Maybe even. I, I could. Uh, there were times that um, I know that I made people around me feel uncomfortable. Even though at the time when I was in the spirit, uh, in seminary, I was still a true believer, so to speak. You know, it was the only frame of reference that I had at that time for what I was seeing and hearing and what have you. Um, but I, I do know there were times that I that I probably made people feel uncomfortable. I remember going to a professor after class, and the class was called The Theology of Man. And I just went to him after class, and he was one of my favorite professors, just highly intelligent, wise, compassionate. And, um, and I said, do you think that we'll ever have a class here called The Theology of Woman? And he kind of looked at me funny, and he said, well, you know, women are incorporated into man and mankind and humankind. And I said, well, why don't we talk about any of them? Um, And he said, well, I'm going to remedy that. We're going to start talking about more of the women in the Bible in my class. And he did. Um, So uh, that, that that is a very positive response. Um, but then there were just as many responses of, um, I remember joking one time of, of 
we were sitting in the cafeteria, and one of my preacher friends was, you know, talking about, um, I think it's a scripture in Isaiah about let justice roll down like waters and truth is a mighty stream. I'm really butchering uh, the scripture right now. And I said, that'll preach. He goes, yeah, for me, but not for you because you're not supposed to preach. <laughs> and it was like, okay. <laughs> and I just, I instead of, instead of taking it on, I would just kind of laugh it off. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. I mean, because what else can you do, you know? Uh, you're you're really in a in kind of a difficult uh, situation there, and you were lucky that um, that teacher of yours that uh, that you mentioned uh, he didn't disappoint because uh, I know so often you know mentors I've had over the years you know you you uh, you know you do make the mistake of putting them on a pedestal and you know that's kind of just asking for them you know uh, to fall off because you know they're not perfect they're just human so um you know you were uh, you probably made him a better professor uh for having asked him that question and um i i do know that i i don't keep up with it very closely anymore but i i do know somewhere along the way that it became more and more difficult for women to get um degrees from the seminary um, and that the, the studies for women started um, focusing more on um, being a wife uh, or being in a supportive role that you could get a degree in that. So um, it's like it, Southern Baptists have always been incredibly fundamentalist and, and, and conservative, but, um, you know, the, the most fundamentalist, the most conservative, the fanatical, um, in in that um, ilk uh, are the ones who have they're pretty much taken over now, and I'm not even sure um, a, a woman can get the kind of degree that that I have anymore. So rather than evolve, uh, they uh, they regressed. It sounds like. Yeah, yeah. Sad to say, um, but I also feel like so, that that it also brought brought to the forefront those that were trying to fit in to a framework that wasn't even fitting to begin with and then when things things became more fanatical that they had to find their way somewhere else and that that probably was a really good thing yeah well was there any uh, was there one particular thing that uh, led to you leaving or was it just you know, a, a compilation of everything we've been discussing. Um, I think it was uh, that cumulative effect, you know, that it just layers and layers and layers. And then I had to have what I jokingly now refer to as a come-to-Jesus meeting. Um, I was uh, working for the Southern Baptist Convention downtown in Nashville, Tennessee. And... We had just received word that within the next year, uh, the fanaticals on uh, our particular board and in the Southern Baptist Convention were going to start requiring people to sign um, articles of faith uh, in what they believed and did not believe, which is actually against uh, the Southern Baptist um, principle of priesthood of the believer that you can interpret things for yourself and 
You don't need a priest or a church to do that. And when I realized that that was coming, that sooner or later I was going to have to sign that I believed certain things that I didn't believe, or that I didn't believe certain things that I did believe, that, um, you know, I was, I, was, I was either going to have to sign it to keep my job <laughs> or I was going to refuse to sign it and lose my job. And that it was kind of a line of demarcation for me, and I started um, looking for another job uh, outside um, of the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, And the day that I left my job, within the month, they started uh, distributing the, the articles of faith or whatever they were calling them at the time for people to begin signing, and it was like, Oh my goodness! Okay, I got got out just by the skin of my teeth, or, or that's that's what I understood was happening at the time, and um, it was like, oh, okay, that that forced the issue for me, um, and I'm really glad it it did um, because it was, you know, it it wasn't just not that it would this would be simple, but it wasn't simply my just growing out of my religious beliefs and and um focusing more on the spiritual path. It it was my education, it was my experience, it was my employment, it was my whole life. <laughs> and so it wasn't just going, okay, I'm going in a diff- growing and going in a different direction. It was that um I felt like I was giving up everything that I had been or had done to prepare myself for life. Um, and there, there was a time that I was even embarrassed to, to let people know, you know, that I I had um, had been that person, um, you know, that I would just kind of gloss over it and pretend like, you know, that part of my life had never happened. And then I finally realized that, it very well may be one of the reasons that I chose to incarnate was to experience that and to be able to leave it so that I could help others find their way out of it when they were ready. Exactly. And um, I, I totally get that. Uh, and and I uh, put that in the same category, I guess, with the racism that I grew up with in the South. Um, I mean, I I actually was one of these people that used to think Fox News uh, was a good, uh, you know, was a good news channel, and Bill O'Reilly and Rush Limbaugh uh, were voices to follow, and you know, and that's what I'm ashamed to say that now. Uh, although as I get older, I realize uh, the fact that I changed and um, shed that. Mm-hmm and grew beyond it uh, is hope that other people can as well. Um, and I, I and I don't know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I would imagine that must have occurred to you as well. If you could throw off the shackles of Christian fundamentalism, uh, not only could you maybe help others do it, but there was hope uh, that uh, other people could escape it. Exactly. Uh, I actually dedicate fundamentalism to, and, and there's a page in the book that the dedication to all who face their fear and find freedom. Yeah, because like you said, it's uh, it's a big deal to throw off everything you've known, 
you know, uh, you know, this was at the at, at the core of your being. What you've heard, uh, you know, all your life growing up in 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 the household. I mean, it. Uh, uh, you really upset your uh, emotional and psychological apple cart, so to speak. You know, that's a very courageous thing to do because, you know, I don't think most people have the courage to do that. They maybe just succumb to uh, the pressures and, uh, like like you said, they were going to force everyone to sign those documents and I mean, I would imagine the vast majority of people who maybe had their doubts would have just signed. Um, you know, maybe it didn't mean quite so much to them because it would have meant throwing off, uh, you know, cha- having to change their life. I mean, were, were you going to be accepted in the same social circles? Were, did, were you going to lose your friends as well as your job? What was, the, you know, what ramifications would have happened in your family? I mean, there's a lot to consider in doing what you did. And it's, um, I, I think that's why I, I feel so compassionate towards even, even fanatical Christian fundamentalists. Still, is that I, I understand that fear, I understand that brainwashing, that indoctrination. I mean, I, I really do get it. I do understand. Um, and that I, I also understand that on the average, I'm not saying everyone, but that on the average, these are people who are really and truly in their minds trying to do the right thing. Um, as crazy as that sounds sometimes. You know, they're really trying to follow the way uh, and they're really trying um, to save other people because they're, you know, worried and concerned about them. Um, but it's, um, you know, it, it's just such a, a limited box in, into which one must uh, fit themselves. And, and where I came to a conclusion in the book was is that you know, if if you believe in an unlimited God, so to speak, um, then you don't have the right to limit him or her or it or them or they or what have you um, based on uh, your limited understanding. And so um, uh, one, of, one of the interesting things that's going on uh, down here, uh, Karen, which I know that you'll appreciate having grown up in New Orleans and, and my being in the Jackson, Mississippi area, is that um, my uh, significant other and I moved back uh, home here in 2012, and there is a great spiritual awakening going on here. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that it's the majority or anything, but there's just this great spiritual awakening going on where people are beginning to question um, and that they're, they're wanting more than the box in which uh, they have been stuffed and, and they're peeking out from under the lid of that box. Um, and it's coming from that compassionate, loving, gentle, kind heart that they have, that, that they, they're having to find some way um, to, um, I don't know, make, make the connection to what is real for them uh, with that heart. Well, and, and, and I'm glad to hear that. You know, thank you. Uh, thank you for sharing that. And, you know, when I lived there, it might have just been I wasn't moving in the right circles, you know, to have found goddess. 
Um, but, you know, I, I, I think about this idea of, you know, do you stay in the box versus crack the lid open? And, um, you know, I, I sort of liken it to the matrix. You know, do you, do you take the blue pill or you take the red pill? And I forget <laughs> now which pill was which. Um, but, but, you know, it's, it's really um, easier I, I, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's not easier. Uh, where I'm going with this is, you know, it's really difficult to um, not just throw off the shackles of belief. Uh, you know, it's, it feels like when you start to question, uh, that's when things get dangerous, you know. And um, in, 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 in the suddenly the things that, uh, you know, maybe enter your mind, um, you know, that, 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 that sort of um, threatens everything. I, I mean, some people just don't have the courage to go there. You know, I mean, it takes a lot of courage to, uh, to be willing to crack that box open and look in that box and, and to question uh, everything you've been taught. You know, for some people it's a lot easier to just keep nodding your head uh, up and down and never question a thing uh, and just go along. Um, you know, it, it makes for maybe a simpler life, I guess, for some people. I, 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 think, I think you're absolutely right. Um, I mean, going against the grain um, causes splinters, right? You know, and and there's no way to sugarcoat, you know, it's, it's no way to sugarcoat that, um, yeah, you, you can uh, lose uh, uh, family members, you can lose friends, you can lose jobs, you, can, you know, you can have your ethics called into question because, you know, you're not singing from the same page in the hymnal, so to speak. Um, and so uh, we're, we're still in an environment where, uh, especially Mississippi, but I think across the United States of America, where uh, whether you, you are a practicing Christian or not, uh, or whether you fall for, for the story hook, line, and sinker, so to speak, you're still living under the dominion of the Christian religion. Um, and that you're still living under um, a political system that was based upon, um, uh, or that it is now being based upon those religious beliefs. Um, that, um, especially here in Mississippi, you know, one one of the one of the easiest ways to get elected is to be a God fearing Christian and. You know, to continually call for prayers and, um, you know, what would God do, what would Jesus do, and all of those. And, and then we'll try to rewrite history that that's how our whole country was founded. And it was like, no, we weren't founded on Christian principles. We were founded on the belief of everyone is equal in the eyes of God, which is much more of a a theist or deist kind of concept than it is a, a Christian concept. Um, but yeah, there there are reasons to have fear and trembling when when you begin to take these steps because you're not just headed to a new life that is more um, uh, uh, connected for you that uh, that that is more that is right for you. You're not just headed toward toward something that is 
really freeing for you, you're also going to be leaving behind some people, places, and things that have been foundational bases for you. Yeah, yeah, and that that uh, that takes uh, you know quite a bit of courage. Um, you know, it, it's like do you choose uh, comfort in conformity, uh, or that um, those niggling questions in the back of your mind that uh, you know when you're laying in bed at night in the dark that they don't go away. <laughs> you know, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I, 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 you, you said it really well, and, uh, you know, it makes me think about, uh, you know, what's happening right now, uh, you know, down south as, you know, their, you know, protesters are toppling Confederate monuments, and, uh, I mean, I know the history books down there had been written uh, to pretend like the Civil War wasn't really about slavery, and you have the, mm-hmm. the school books that come out of Texas that want to, you know, eliminate the good things uh, about, um, you know, African-American accomplishments or they maybe want to write Thomas Jefferson uh, out of uh, the history books. And it really comes to this, um, uh, you know, they don't want to have that uh, separation between church and state. I mean, they would be happier to have nothing, you know, they'd be happy to have that theocracy, um, you know, it feels like that's, you know, along with this mentality of racism that is so ingrained, uh, I think that's also uh, a struggle. I mean, it's almost as if the South shouldn't have been part of the United States uh, in so many ways when you, when you think about it, because we're still having the church and state battle. Of, of, but, of course, nobody wants to talk about that. It sort of just lingers under the surface there. Um, and uh, and this God-given call to make it a theocracy, you know, that's 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 dangerous. It's it's frightening. Um, one of the uh, things that's going on in Mississippi now is um, we're the last state in the union, so to speak, in uh, that still has uh, the rebel flag, you know, and um, there's there's a new um, movement. Um, you know, to try to to um, replace it with a more uh, with a flag that represents more unity uh, than it does division. Um, time will see, you know, where that goes. But I think it has a better chance now than than it has um, has in the past. Uh, one of the things that I'm having to be very consciously aware of for myself personally um, is to remember that is in the darkness. Uh, of the womb um, that we are we are conceived and nurtured toward birth, and so whenever I feel like I per- I'm personally in a dark place or it feels like there's a lot of dark around me, I just have to continually remind myself, okay, wait a minute, <laughs> this this is dark, uh, but that could mean that. Um, there's so much light on the planet now that it can't stay in the dark, and light's being shined. Uh, it, light is being shined on it, um, and it can also mean that it is the darkness of the womb where we're conceiving and nurturing ourselves toward a, a birth of something better. 
Um, so it's like, okay, the ugliness has probably always been here, but hopefully there's enough light shining on it now because of all the work we've done. The light is shining brighter and brighter and brighter, and it can't stay in the dark. It can't even stay in the shadows anymore. It's it's being seen by all. And that that we also give ourselves permission to understand that it is in the darkness, um, just like in the womb, that... that we are conceived and nurtured toward birth and that this this is kind of the the comforting part to me personally right now with with all of the darkness that does seem to be coming to the light now and um that that this um this is a gestation um that's been going on for a really long time um and that um labor pains toward toward a birth of something new and different, hopefully. Well said. Um, we're going to have to take a break now, uh, and I still have a few more questions I want to ask you, uh, Joanne. Uh, can you stay with me a little bit longer, uh, maybe about uh, sure. 10 minutes longer than we originally planned? Okay, uh, great. Um, so when we come back, um, I want to know more about this book, uh, and I also want to talk to you about the rise of the divine masculine. Um, so we'll talk more about uh, uh, about your books and um, and especially the divine masculine part. But uh, but I wanted to just share with listeners uh, something about Joe Carson's film, uh, Dancing with Gaia. tell you about Joe Carson's film, Dancing with Gaia, an exploration of earth-based spirituality shot at sacred sites around the world. This is from Janina Renee, author of Playful Magic and By Candlelight. Dancing with Gaia is a magical, transformative film. Just watching it can alter your perception of the physical body and the energy field of the goddess Earth. Next time you are taking a walk or simply gazing across the landscape, you might find yourself affecting mystical fusion with the local earth forms or making deep contact with the spirits of place. If you want to engage deeper with the consciousness of the earth, there are a number of detailed but simple how-tos. What's more, seeing the exquisite works of these Gaia-inspired artists could energize you to start working on some of your own spiritually expressive projects. The DVD was shot in some of the most powerfully sacred sites in the Western world. It comes packaged with a 45-page colored booklet, which goes even deeper into the ideas and techniques in the film. The package is just $20, and you can get it from dancingwithgaia.com. Uh, Dancing with Gaia is available only at dancingwithgaia.com. Uh, I do have it on the shelves of my personal library uh, for $20. It really is a great bargain. It's a great film and a great book. Um, it, it's just a really good value. If you haven't already thought about it, uh, you might want to. And uh, go take a look at 
the website dancingwithgaia.com. So if you're tuning in late and um, you're just catching up to us right now, I hope you'll go back and listen from the very beginning. But uh, I'm chatting with uh, Joanne Keir, and uh, like so many women today, she wears many hats. Uh, She's a psychic channeler, hypnotist. Uh, She's an ordained minister spiritual teacher, performer of sacred ceremonies, and uh, we're talking about uh, her latest book, Recovery from the Misogyny of Christian, um, oh, I'm sorry, Uh, well, that's our topic today, Recovering from the Misogyny of Christian Fundamentalism, but her book title is actually uh, Fundamentalism, uh, resurrecting the fundamentals of relationship uh, from the fundamentalism of religion, and she also has um, uh, her other book, uh, Return of the Divine Feminine, um, Rise of the Divine Masculine, and the Men Who Are Calling for Her Return. And uh, we've been having a great conversation, and we're going to go for a few minutes more here. Um, Joanne, before we uh, go on to your book about the rise of the divine masculine, uh, what would you say the main premise of um, of this book, Fundamentalism, uh, is? Um, I didn't know it when I was writing it at the time, but I, I think my main premise was that uh, the Bible really isn't the literal inerrant, divinely inspired, and final word of God. And that if you can't look at that honestly, that it's going to actually keep you from having a personal relationship with the divine. So, well, you know, and maybe it's because I've let this go so long ago, but I've always felt that it was just a man-made book um, you know, uh, in, in, and, and, you know, that isn't to say some of the stuff in it, uh, in my mind, couldn't have been divinely inspired, but it felt like to me it was more about um, control, uh, more about, um, you know, that pyramid of God on top, you know, with man just underneath and everything else on the planet, women, species, the earth, were there to serve man. So it felt like a very uh, sexist, self-serving teaching or book. Um, Is that, I don't know, is that too extreme? I mean, you know it better Uh, than I do, I'm sure. Not in in my (laughs) opinion. I don't think that's extreme at all. Um, because it is it is the personal conclusion that I, I have come to with that. Um, but um, uh, with your permission, I'll just read the, the back cover of Fundamentalism, and I just say, hello, my name is Ann and I'm a former fundamentalist. If you're a Christian fundamentalist and your beliefs are working for you because you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they are right and real, this book is probably not for you. If you are a Christian fundamentalist or beginning to question some of the beliefs you've been taught along the way, this book may be for you. But if you are or once were a Christian fundamentalist and your beliefs just aren't working for you anymore, this book is definitely for you. It was trying to, I guess my trying to help people look at things objectively so they then could make, they could choose consciously 
what uh, spiritual path they wanted to, to follow as opposed to just ascribing to uh, a religion that they were told they were supposed to believe in. Yeah, or they were born into. Uh, you're kind of helping them do some critical thinking, I think, uh, because they certainly aren't going to get it um, from the community, uh, and they might not be capable of eking out for themselves, um, you know, the the points you make in the book. Would, would that be a fair thing to say? I, I would say so, and I'm, I'm finding that the people who buy the book, uh, it's very often to kind of clarify things for themselves, but more often than not, it's because they are going through a spiritual awakening, a quickening, and they keep trying to explain these things to their Christian fundamentalist family or friends or what have you, and and don't feel like that they can... Uh, adequately express themselves and so when they find my book they buy multiple copies of it and start handing it out to people and go okay um, here's what I've been trying to say you don't have to agree with it or not but this is what I've been trying to say (laughs) and so it's actually it's actually being bought um, to um, uh, help them free themselves from family and friends uh, expectations um, even even uh, when the family and friends uh, agree to read it and they disagree with it and, and still are wanting you know to keep that individual in the fold, so to speak, it's like the person who's going to the spiritual awakening and, and leaving all this behind feels like they finally had their say because I was able to say it for them in the book and they were able to give that as a gift. I get it. I get it. And um well I and my my last question about this and we'll you know, we'll talk about the the other book a little bit before we have to go. Um I know my mother never read my books and uh it, it bothered me for a long time. And then I realized, you know, uh they were probably threatening, you know, this idea of goddess. She probably didn't even understand it. Um, and I'm just wondering how did how has your mother responded to your shift away from uh, fundamental fundamentalism and over to goddess spirituality? Um, both my mom and dad uh, died back in 2012, um, but um, as um, they were growing older. Um, it it was a really interesting process to watch. Um, my my mom uh, was diagnosed with terminal cancer, and she started asking me all sorts of questions, you know, about this and about that, what have you. And I thought, okay, well, if you're asking, I'm going to answer. And and she'd go, well, that makes sense. That makes sense. That makes much more sense. And and my dad would, um, he was diagnosed with terminal cancer like a couple of weeks after we buried her. And he started asking some of the same questions, but it was from more of a, you know, I never was really an atheist. I just didn't believe in the God that your mom believed in. <laughs> so um, it was it was almost, uh, it, not only was it cathartic for me personally, but it was kind of eye-opening for me is that there may be some people sitting in church pews right now who have some of these same questions, but um, they they just can't ask them with the other people who are sitting in those church pews. 
Right, right, exactly, exactly. And, you know, what a service you did to, for them at the end. Um, you know, I, I hope you feel I hope you feel good about that. Um, so um, let's, you know, for a minute, let's give a little bit of attention to your other book, uh, Return of the Divine Feminine, Rise of the Divine Masculine. Uh, as I said at the top of the show, uh, that's something I've gotten some flack for, uh, at least within the... Um, you know, the women's community, um, you know, uh, goddess folks who were feminist, you know, they're convinced, uh, at least some of them, not all of them, you know, that men are the cause of all the evil in the world. And, uh, you know, I don't think they want to think much about divine masculine. You know, their pendulum is kind of swung over to uh, divine feminine and, you know, hasn't come back to maybe the middle, you know, for a more egalitarian um, you know, sort of uh, uh, arrangement. Uh, so speak a little bit about that, uh, Duane. You know, uh, how do you define uh, divine masculine and uh, why do you think it's on the rise? Is it important? Um, enlighten listeners to your, you know, your way of thinking on that. Um I, I guess the, the the best place to start with that is that um, you know as a as a psychic channeler I sometimes um, get messages and um, I had gotten up one morning and was on my way to the restroom you know as I do every morning and in the doorway between the bedroom and the bathroom um, my uh, guides one of my guides said. Um, you know, we want we want you to stop writing what you're writing right now, and um, uh, we want you to um, interview interview men about the divine feminine and write about that. And I'm kind of like, excuse me, <laughs> do you, do you not remember who I am, my history? You know, haven't we heard enough from men about this? Uh, you want me to interview men about the divine masculine and write a book about that? And um, did some haggling back and forth because I'm I'm, I'm thinking I I must be hearing this wrong or you must have the wrong person or and through the process I realized why why they chose me because um, I I I needed to learn some things myself. But the the final word that morning. Um, was Duane, um, the Divine Feminine is returning, and she will stimulate the rise of the Divine Masculine to meet her. Their union will give birth to a new creation upon the planet, and we need you to help prepare the way. And I thought, okay, I don't really know what any of that means, but I really have to pee right now, so I'm, okay, yes, I'll do it. So I can, you'll leave me alone and I can go pee, right? <laughs> so, um over the course of the next several days, I got a download of 33 questions that I was supposed to ask men. And uh, I didn't understand a lot of the questions. Some of the questions um, to me seemed to be the same question, just asked with different words. But as I began asking the questions, I understood that there was a nuance in the question that got additional information or different kinds of information. And um, when um, I finally got through with the surveys and the interviews and the transcriptions and what have you, 
I realized I really didn't have any idea where to start with the book. It was like I had just agreed to do it, and I had gotten all the info together and, and was being told it was time to write, and um, like I'm not exactly sure how to do this. And, you know, am I supposed to take each of the questions and, and that be a chapter and how all the men answered it, or am I supposed to take each man and how he answered all the questions? You know, I'm trying to figure out the logistics, right? Um, and so I just uh, sat down with my guides and said, okay, I said yes to this, but you need to tell me how to begin. And the answer I got surprised me. It said, begin with the end. And I went, I don't know what that means. I said, begin with what you learned from it all. And it was like, I'm going, wait a minute, the book's not supposed to be about me. It's supposed to be about the men. You know, I've, I've, I spent, these men have given me a lot of their, their life force energy to be able to, you know, to participate in this. And it was like, no, it's not, it's not about you or them. It's about the divine feminine returning and stimulating the rise of the divine masculine. And so I had to spend more time with the material figuring out what I had learned along the way. And what I, some of the things I learned was that it's not men versus women. It's how unhealthy the patriarchal systems are in place across the planet for everyone. It's not just unhealthy for women. It's unhealthy for men. It's unhealthy for the planet. And the men were saying this, that that the patriarchal systems in place across the planet are, are just as damaging to us and to the earth and everything on the planet as they are to women. And that, that we want to help change this, that this is an imbalance. And I, I have to confess, Karen, I, I just assumed that all men were benefiting from the patriarchal system, you know. Um, and what I learned from them is nothing could be further from the truth. They're they're expected to be in this man box culture that is literally, not just figuratively, that is literally killing them. Yeah. Um, and one, yeah, of, they, one of the – go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, you know, they're not allowed to be their authentic self either. And um, I know Matthew Fox I'm going to have on the show soon. Uh, he's, you know, he's written some books about uh, the new roles of men uh, in the future, you know, just one of which is, you know, men instead of warriors or protectors. Uh, and there's lots mm. of other roles too, but but they shift away from uh, the roles uh, patriarchy, um, you know, tells men that they're supposed to be uh, filling. But uh, but I, I love what you're saying. Uh, please continue, and I'd also like to know where you found these men. <laughs> um, well, I... I learned lots of things, but another thing I learned that I think is very germane to the conversation we've already had today is that um, the obsolete concepts that we have of God that we've been talking about today, um, whether you believe them or not, whether you believe the stories or not, it's still the pervasive story in, in our Western culture but that these obsolete concepts of God are actually restricting men from coming into communion with their divine masculine. In other words, they're having to learn that, um, that the divine masculine has very little to do with these obsolete concepts of God and that 
when when it really gets down to it, that the divine masculine and the divine feminine are almost exactly the same thing. It is just the the union of the two um, that creates this new creature upon the planet. And and my my conclusion in in the book is that the the new creature that this union gives birth to is quite frankly a fully divine human in other words that we don't have to be worshiping this external eternal god outside ourselves um, but that we can connect to um, our own divinity as a spark of the original source of all creation and that uh, when we incorporate, all of us incorporate fully our divine feminine and divine masculine in union, uh, just like in nature, we are then able to more easily create, manifest, uh, give birth uh, to new and different kinds of things. And I, one of the conclusions I came to was uh, it's one of the reasons that people can go to as many manifesting workshops as they want to but until we are each able to bring into union the divine feminine and the divine masculine within ourselves, it's going to be incredibly challenging and difficult to conceive and to manifest and to create. Wow, that sounds like an incredible book, too. Um, I'm, I'm so glad I asked you about that. Uh, and and I love uh, I love what you uh, what you discovered. Um, and I, was it hard to find men who were, uh, you know, who wanted to share, uh, you know, their thoughts on this? It, it was a really interesting process. There, there there wasn't really anything scientific about it. I just started sending out the the list of 33 questions to any and every man I knew. Um, and and hoping that they would respond, right? And then they started sending them to their friends and what have you. Um, and um, it was it was a really interesting process with my guides as well. It's like I'm I'm wanting to get as many together as I possibly can, you know, to make sure that I've got a, a, a balanced representation. And when I got, I think it was around 20 of of them back, my God said, begin writing. I went, no, I need a lot more. And they went, no, you have the representation already. The others will just be confirming or supporting that. Um, and I realized wow. I had a really diverse group of men um, in those 20. Well, that's really awesome. Uh, and, and that's a book I think I'm really going to want to read, uh, Joanne. Uh, thank you. Thank you for doing both of these books. And we haven't mentioned uh, your website yet. It's uh, metaphysicalmississippi.com. I like that. I would not now have that. You know, that, that's, almost, that's almost an oxymoron for me, metaphysical Mississippi. <laughs> <laughs> um, my personal, but like you said, things personal... are changing. <laughs> Yes, my personal website is com, and uh, metaphysicalmississippi.com is an offshoot of that um, because I realized that people here in Mississippi needed to start finding each other to where that they wouldn't wouldn't feel alone. So if if you're interested in any of my um, personal services, go to com 
Um, but if you're interested in finding out about what's uh, going on with the Great Spiritual Awakening here in Mississippi, you can go to metaphysicalmississippi.com. Okay, and I want to make sure folks know how to spell your name because it is, uh, <laughs> I, I believe your first name is unusual. It's D-U-A-N-N, and uh, last name is Keir, K-I-E-O-R. And, Duane, um, I, I'm going to throw you a curve here, but because, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and I do this for anyone who says uh, they're a psychic channeler or someone who maybe gets insights from beyond. Um, Have you gotten any downloads about what you think is going to happen in November? I have not, and I have asked. Um, And what I have been told is that, and and it, it, it makes me chuckle, you know, snicker, giggle, what have you, is that, Um, they've actually been telling me we don't know yet y'all are the ones who are creating this and manifesting this and we're having to wait to see oh my god I don't think I like that answer (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean the the thought that it it, we could go ahead I'm sorry I I just that um, you know we we have a tendency to think that, that psychic means predicting the future and the future is always in formation, you know, that that it's it's in chaos and flux and change based on people's choices and decisions and what have you. Um, but I have been getting messages that, uh, and I know this sounds overly dramatic and it sounds like a cliche, but, you know, just answering your question honestly is that nothing will ever be the same. In other words, people said, I'd be glad when things get back to normal. Well, they are not going to, not the normal that we once had. And I hope that's a really good sign. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that way too. Um, I mean, my, one of my last blog posts, I think, was about that because, you know, what we just accepted as normal was really not that good for a lot of people on so many levels. I mean, we could do a whole show just about that, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and, and maybe we should, um, you know, but we, we've already gone 20 minutes over here, and uh, so we're going to have to. Uh, bring it to an end, uh, but I want to give you the final word. Um, anything quickly you would like to uh, say to listeners before we have to let you go today? Um, I guess I would encourage listeners to do something really blasphemous. Uh, I would encourage you to give up your religion, and and, <laughs> and instead of following following a religion, uh, that you commit yourself to following a spiritual path, that is that you develop your own relationship to the divine rather than following any system of belief in someone else's experience of the divine, even if a religion has been founded upon it. I totally agree. I'm right there with you. Um, Duane, thank you so much. Uh, Thank you for your books. Uh, Thank you for uh, your insight. I love seeing you on Facebook. Um, I'm so happy that uh, you wrote this and you've taken the time to be with listeners today. Uh, And uh, down the road, if there's anything you'd like to chat about, um, you know, pop me an email, and uh, I'm always looking for great topics uh, to talk about here on the radio. Great, and thank you so much for this opportunity, Karen, and, and the work that you that you do for all of us. 
Oh, well, you know, uh, we're all just here being in service, trying to make a new world. <laughs> That's all we're trying to do. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> all right, too. <laughs> all right, thank you so much. Uh, you, you stay safe, and uh, we'll be in touch. All right. All right, folks. Well, that about does it for me for today. I will be back with you tomorrow, uh, and I'm going to be doing um, June's uh, inspirational message and meditation from my book, Goddess Calling. Uh, if you have hit the follow button, you will get a reminder in your inbox uh, so you won't have to remember. And if you've not done that yet, I keep encouraging you to do so. Uh, if if the show isn't something you want to listen about, all you have to do is hit the delete button in your uh, email uh, inbox, but this way uh, you know what's going on and um, you'll have a better opportunity to uh, hear the great guests or uh, the inspirational messages that uh, are coming forth from this site. All right, um, I guess that about does it for today. Uh, so until tomorrow, uh, this is Karen Tate, Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Uh, and as I like to say, uh, may Goddess embrace you in her golden wings. Bye for now. <laughs>